0: Um, there's a group of, there's a crew of dedicated people who use their talents to give us you know, useful things like this screen and the fact that you can hear me amplified and, and even though we don't have everything that we want because of uh, the, the storms of this Friday that dedicated crew has worked to make this happen You know, every Sunday it's easy to take for granted what they do but I think they're worthy of our appreciation, don't you? <clears throat> Let's give thanks. Father, we ask that you would um, help us to have the kind of mindset, the kind of heart, and the kind of attitude that we, we want to use our talents for you. And we're, we're able to, to risk using our talents for you. Be with us now in the hearing of this word I pray that you would help me as the preacher of this word. I pray that you'll help all of us as the listeners of this word, and may we be shaped by it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've noticed something on social media. I've noticed something that uh, I don't really remember when I first saw this, but people will post an article or a song or a video, and instead of putting a lot of commentary out there, they'll just put one word this and that one word this is meant to draw your attention to the fact that they don't want to say a lot they just want you to experience this as they did they're saying it's important but they're not telling you what to think the parables that jesus gives us parables of the kingdom of heaven are a lot like that process that jesus will say the kingdom of heaven is like And he doesn't explain it, he just gives you a parable. Very rarely does he ever explain it. He just gives this parable a a set of conditions, a story, and you and I are asked to be drawn into it. And if you stop and think about it, Jesus could have written a lengthy manual about the kingdom of heaven. He could have given us a flow chart, he could have given us a, a hierarchy, he could have shown us exactly what the kingdom of heaven is like. He could have given us established policy about the kingdom of heaven. He could have written a, a, a series of books on the theology and the doctrine of the kingdom of heaven. It would have been impervious to debate. He could have given us a condition for every possible scenario we would ever find ourselves in in human history. But instead, he just gave us a story, and he said the kingdom of heaven is this. Why? Why? Well, perhaps it's because part of the experience of the kingdom is being drawn into it, receiving it. Not standing outside of it and evaluating it, but going deep into the kingdom. And so if we want to receive the kingdom of heaven, then we have to spiritually follow the link. We have to spiritually open up the file. We have to watch the scenes unfold so that the kingdom of heaven comes to mean something to us. Parables are not allegory. And for the next few weeks, we want to look at these parables about the kingdom. But parables are not code. You can't just come up with a flow chart with every parable and say, okay, the master is God, the good servant is everybody who's working hard, the wicked, lazy servant is all those people who need to come to church more often. It's not as as cut and dried as that. I say that because every time you look at the parables, you're going to walk away with a fresh understanding of the kingdom of heaven. If you've been reading these parables since you were six years old, you're going to come away even at 96 with a fresh understanding of the kingdom. So let's never get into the mode of thinking, oh yeah, we've heard this parable before, we know what it all means, let's move on. Because Jesus didn't give us that option, he just said, it's this. And he draws us into this experience of that kingdom reality one more time. So I want to suggest a parable that may tell us something about the kingdom of heaven. It's the parable of the talents. And of course when I read this you're not going to hear me use the word talent. It's going to say bag of gold in the translation that I have. That's what a talent was. A talent was a measurement like a Like a pound or an ounce. Uh, talent was rather large. but, But whatever a talent was, that's not the point. By the way, our English word talent comes from the translation of that word talent. But get into the story. Let's hear the story, the parable. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like... A man who goes on a trip. He calls together his servants. He gave them money to invest while he was gone. He gave five bags of gold to one of them, two bags of gold to another one, and one bag of gold to the last servant. He divides it in proportion to their abilities. And then the man left on his trip. The servant who received five bags of gold began immediately to invest the money, and he doubled it. The servant with two bags of gold went right to work and doubled the money. But the servant who received one bag of gold, he dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money for safekeeping. Now, after a long time, their master returned from his trip. He called them to give an account of how they used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of gold said, Sir, you gave me five bags of gold to invest. I doubled the amount. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Next came the servant, who had received the two bags of gold. With the report, sir, you gave me two bags of gold to invest. I've doubled the amount. The master said, oh, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of gold came and he said, sir, I know you're a hard man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth, but here it is. And the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. You think I'm a hard man, do you? Harvesting crops I didn't plant, gathering crops I didn't cultivate? well, you should have at least put my money into the bank so it could have gained some interest. Take the money from this servant, give it to the one with 10 bags of gold. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given, and they'll have an abundance. But to those who are unfaithful, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, put this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is this. So, as a friend, as a fellow servant, as a teacher, reading this again this week, I have just a few suggestions of what this parable of the kingdom might mean for us right now, this time, this place. First of all, it asks us to consider the question, what does it mean to be a faithful steward? And I mean really considerate, because we use that phraseology a lot. We are supposed to be faithful stewards, and then finish the sentence for me. We're supposed to be faithful stewards of, anybody? Say it. The Lord's money. You ever, you ever heard that? Well, first of all, I want to point out to you, there's no such thing as the Lord's money. We have this idea sometimes that the Lord has a little checking account. You know, he's like our great-great-grandfather. You know, he's got a pension. I've got this money and I'd like to invest it. You know, we can put a CD out for you, sir. You can put the money in there. Oh, thank you very much. And then we get him, you know, 10% or something like that. We invest it properly. And then he comes back one day and he's so proud. It's like, look what I made on my investment. We're the church of Christ, not the bank of Christ, okay? God didn't set us up so that we could just make him some money. You could say all money is the Lord's money. That's true. In fact, if Scripture ever says anything about money, it usually says money is a false god. This is about talents. This is about resources. It would include money, but it would apply to so much more. The, the point of the story is that, that a faithful steward is one who does something with what God has given him. What is it that separates the good and faithful stewards from the lazy and wicked steward. What? It's, I mean, you, you would think that the way we use the phrase sometimes, a faithful steward of the Lord's money, that that means save it, hold on to it, don't risk it. But that's actually what, what the unfaithful steward does. He buries it in the ground. He doesn't risk it. The master has given talents because he's expecting people to do something with it. Action rather than inaction is what makes one a faithful steward. It's fine now, don't get me wrong, it's fine to decide that yes we should do this or no we should not do that. With all of our time, our resources, our talents, our funds, It's good to decide, let's say yes to this and let's say no to that. Now on that, Jesus gave us a clear teaching. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. But he never said, now listen, I'm giving you the checkbook, don't play around with it and don't invest it in frivolous things. Instead, he gives us this parable that something is expected because what the master wants is he wants all of the resources he's given to his people to be Multiplied. He wants there to be growth. He wants there to be increase because he wants to have more of the joy in seeing that grow. Being a faithful steward does not mean that we are free from risk. Especially if you understand, and here's the second thing what the Master's mission is the Master's mission is not safekeeping. I used to use a phrase 20 years ago in campus ministry. It's one that just, I I, I found it in a magazine, I found it in a leadership magazine, and I thought this is so perfect for what we need to remember, what I needed to remember, what we needed to do. And it kept me accountable. It was a little phrase that says, a ship is safe in harbor, but that's not what ships are for. That motto became a reminder to us that we received these young people at a time in their life between the ages of 18 and 24. And they were already, by government standards, old enough to vote. They were old enough to go to war. And in a few years, they'd be old enough to make a decision whether or not it's a good idea to fill themselves full of intoxicating substances. And so we thought, you know what, if this is the case, then, then what are we providing here? Are we just providing a bunker, a bubble, where they could hide out from all the bad stuff in the world? Or were we going to send them on an adventure that really mattered? Were we going to put them in the, in the employment and on the mission of the master who has this grand vision of bringing in the harvest? See, we could have created a safe harbor and made that our mission. But that's not what ships are made for. If that motto was good enough for campus ministry 20 years ago, I found that that motto was just for good just as good for us in church just as good for us even if we're quite a distance from 18 to 24 that's not to say that there's not something great about a little rest a little comfort a little safety knowing that you have a safe place to go with others who understand what you understand that you can talk to but we're not called together just to create a christian bubble away from the rest of the world god wants us to be salt and light You look at all of the images that he gives us. He wants us to go and make disciples. Ships are safe in harbor, but that's not what a ship is for. The wicked servant misunderstood the mission of the master. He thought the best thing would be, don't risk the master's talent. Don't risk the investment that the master made. Bury it, but at least he'll get it back. At least it won't be lost. He buries it in the ground for safekeeping. But that's not what the master wanted. Risk and adventure is not the same thing as being foolish. Sometimes we equate those two that any risk is foolhardy, not necessarily. Risk is to be expected, sometimes risk is necessary. But you have to do things. You know, you you have to do things sometimes and take a risk if anything is going to be accomplished. Last week, Bob Fisher came up here and he told us the story of Cure. And he told us about those decisions that were made 20 years ago after the storm came through here in 1996. And having talked to him and having talked to Jim Pratt years ago, I know that they had to take risks. They had to take risks and make decisions. I'm sure that if you heard him tell the story of the sweet potato truck, that you know, the thought must have crossed their mind. Here we get started in this thing, and the first thing we have to show for it is a big old load of sweet potatoes. We're doomed before we even got started. You have to take risks. You have to sometimes even make mistakes. But if we think the whole point is to keep ourselves out of risk, let me ask you this. At what point are we trusting God? At what point are we believing that God is able to provide? And really, at what point are we understanding the Master? What would have happened if 20 years ago, Bob and Jim and all those people who followed in Cure, what would have happened if they decided, this is too much, this is too risky, let's not do this? What would have happened to all the states that were helped by the disaster relief of Cure? What would have happened in those 57 countries where Cure shipped stuff? What would have happened to those people who had need? I'll tell you what would have happened. They would have gotten help anyway. Didn't see that one coming, did you? Okay. They would have gotten help anyway, and I'll tell you why. Because when God intends to do something, he's going to do it. But let me tell you what would have happened. We would not have had that great celebration last Sunday. That's what would have been different. You and I would not have been able to share in the joy over the last 20 years. Now, you can say that's true of cure. You can say that's true of the campus ministry. I mean, God's plans are not going to fail because you and I won't get with the program. But you and I will miss out on the joy and we'll miss out on the celebration if we don't trust him enough to get into the mission, hey? All right. Now, if we mistake the mission of the master as safekeeping... Then we're just going to take the talents and resources he's entrusted to us and we're going to bury them. But I'll tell you this, they don't stay buried long. God takes them and he gives them to somebody who's going to do something with it. Now keep that in mind. The third thing, and this is, makes us think about that, why? Why bury a talent that God has given us? I mean, why would we do such a thing? Why would we avoid risk? Why would we fold up our hands and play it safe? Well, because of the way we view the master. You know, we don't know how the master would have responded to failed effort. We don't know what would have happened if one of these servants had come back and said, you gave me two talents and I lost them both. But I tried. We don't know that because that's really not the point of the kingdom story again it's about trusting in god's ability to invest in us the master knew what he was giving to them he knew what he expected them to do it was a fair judgment and maybe like the lazy servant we don't use our talents because we don't trust god to judge us fairly we think that god's going to be harsh we think that God's going to be difficult. And somebody says, well, hey, the guy was proven right. I mean, look at the end. He gets thrown into hell, doesn't he? Not necessarily. He said, All these other guys are going into the celebration with him. He says, put him out there in the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is that hell? I don't know. In some ways, it sounds like a bunch of people standing around out in the cold who are missing out on the party. And they're crying about it. And they're groaning about it. You know, it sounds a lot like people who just decide to play it safe, and then they sit around and they whine and they complain about everything. Is that hell? Well, I don't know, but if you told me right now what hell was, it'd be stuck in a room with a lot of whiners and complainers. That does sound like hell to me. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the fire, hey, you know, that's bad enough. But whiners and complainers, no, that's going to be bad. this wicked lazy servant doesn't view the master correctly he says you're a harsh man if we think that god is harsh then we're going to be timid and fearful but let me ask you is that really what he is i mean we tend to think that that's the case with the parable well okay if he's so harsh if the master is so harsh then why is he handing talents out to people Why is he sharing his goods? If he takes crops that don't belong to him, then why is he sharing his talents with other people? And if he's so harsh, then why is he throwing parties? Oh, great. Master's full of praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come celebrate. Come celebrate. I think the wicked and lazy servant has it wrong, don't you? I think he's got it wrong. The other two don't seem to be bothered by this. They don't seem to worry that he's a harsh man. They seem excited and energized. They go out and immediately they double the investment. If we focus on the celebration, if we focus on the joy, if we focus on pleasing the master, then we're going to be adventurous. We're going to understand his mission, and we're going to do something about it. So it could be that we don't pay attention to the talents that have been given to us because we view the master in the wrong way or it could be that we're making the thoughts of the other servants our business when we shouldn't our business is not what others think one of the reasons that we sometimes view the master with fear is that we listen too much to the other servants Notice that each of the servants is brought into the celebration or they're left out of it based on what they did. Based on what they accomplished. That's not a works righteousness. That's just simply to say that the master responds to them based on how they put their thoughts and their attitudes into practice. That establishes the relationship and whether it's a relationship of fear or joy. The two trusting servants don't conspire against the lazy servant. You don't, there's not a moment in here where they turn, lean over to the master and they say, listen, this guy's been wearing us out. I mean, from day one, he started out and he said, you better bury those talents. I'm telling you, when he shows up, he's going to want crops that he didn't plant. You better do this. They don't lean over and say, can you do something about this? And you don't see that guy swaying the others you don't see them saying you know i'd love to invest all these talents but he keeps worrying he just keeps worrying about the master and he says we ought to bear so maybe we ought to bury ours too just to make him happy you don't see that do you i had a church i had a friend in church leadership and i was talking to him and he was telling me about a time that his church had these great plans They were going to do something wonderful, and and they were really excited, and it was a very exciting plan. But then they noticed that a lot of people started having anxieties about it, so thinking, hey, they could be wrong. They decided to go, and they decided to talk to people. They wanted to find out what was going on. And every time they would talk to people, they would get the same story over and over. People would say, you know, we're all excited about these plans. Well, really, it sounds good to us. We're all okay with it but we're really worried that some people won't like it and they're not going to be happy about it. But in all of that process, they never found anyone who would admit to being unhappy about it. The anxiety was coming from their fear and worry about what others would think. Now, the good news is, is that by talking to everybody and everybody opening up, they realized, oh, okay. We're worrying, and yet it's not reality. Okay. And they realized that they were inventing a phantom that was going to cause them to bury their talent. You have just gotten an insight into Satan's arsenal. One of his weapons is to get us so focused on what we think or what others think that we will forget how important it is to focus on what the master thinks. And that will cause us to bury our talent. That will cause us to lose the joy. Now, let me tell you this, and this applies not only for our life together as church or your discipleship as a Christian, but really it contains everything. Hear this. Other people do not determine your happiness and joy. You can prefer that other people would stop whining or stop complaining or stop having problems. I'm not talking about Weeping with those who weep, that's love. To have concern when other people are heartbroken, that's love. But even in that, if we make our happiness and our joy contingent upon what other people think, then you might as well give up on your happiness and joy. They do not determine it. Where is the source of joy and celebration in this kingdom parable? Where does it come from? What's the secret? the invitation of the master the master says come and share my joy he wants us to share in the things that he's doing and when we do we will find true joy and happiness it's a difficult thing to think that others might be upset but in the kingdom of heaven it is the master it is the lord who gives us true joy now if we trust this If we trust this, then why are we going to allow critics or grumps to take away our joy, whether they're inside the church or outside the church? Why can't we set the example and set the tone of what it looks like to serve the master? That's just what I got out of the parable, that the kingdom of heaven is this. I probably missed something that you were thinking. I probably missed something that you came up with just in hearing this today. That's okay. It's an invitation into a kingdom parable. You know, some of you are going to have small groups tonight. Spend some time talking to each other. What do you think the kingdom of heaven is when you hear this parable? Because Jesus wants us to experience it, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is this. Now, if you want to experience true joy and happiness, it begins with the master inviting you to share in his mission. As we sing this song, we want to give you that invitation on his behalf. Let's stand. If you need prayer, or you want to respond to the Lord's invitation.